Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. Well... Okay, so the music is electing not to play. So this is Michael with a partially working studio here on Blog Talk Radio. It's always got a glitch. Um, I am doing a solo show today uh, because Robin Schooling, my co-host, is up in Minneapolis enjoying what is apparently some pretty nice summer weather up there near a lake. So I'm envious. It's warm and raining here in Florida. Enough about the weather. Our guest is Chris Dunn. Chris, welcome to Drive Through. Thank you, Michael. Great, great to be here with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while because it's been a bit since we last caught up, and that's kind of what we do here on Drive Through. We talk to our guests, catch up, you know, learn something. Hopefully, yeah. uh, for for yeah, those folks, who, yeah, for those folks who don't know you, although it's hard to imagine that there are any, tell us about Chris Dunn and the many things you do in the HR community. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. And, uh, you know, it's always humbling. There's always more people that don't know you, right? So, uh, you know, hey, hey, everybody, Chris Dunn. I'm like a long-term HR practitioner, big companies, um, like around the late um, 1990s into the 2000s, went small companies, and uh, always an HR practitioner, usually in the field, my corporate biggest client group, 6,000 people, and then in 2005, I went smaller to some private equity-backed software firms, and in 2010, I exited corporate HR per se and made an investment in a recruiting company, RPO company called Kinetics, based out of Atlanta, and on the side, as I think you were kind of referring to, Michael, I run a couple blogs. My own blog is called The HR Capitalist. It's been around since 2007. shows you how old I am. Also, I run another multi-contributor blog called Fistful of Talent that came around right after The Capitalist in 2008. So that's a little bit. I also wrote a book last year, Michael. Mm -hmm. Yay, Mm -hmm. right? So (laughs) called The Nine Faces of HR. So had a good time with that. And uh, here we are. I'm just trying to do interesting work in the field, which, by the way, there's plenty interesting going on these days. Well, there isn't there. Um, you also have, and I haven't had a chance really to listen to the episodes yet, but you also have a blog, of, or not a blog, but a, a podcast of your own, which is also kind of multi-contributor uh, venue, right? HR Famous? Yeah. Yep. HR Famous. You can look it up. G, uh, Jessica Lee from Marriott Corporation and Tim Sackett from HRU, and he's also um, a blogger at, the, at timsackett.com. We, the three of us do that. So we have a good time with that. We're about 25 episodes in. I've got a couple of other like podcasts coming aboard. One called Best Hire Ever. It's a kinetics branded mm-hmm. one. I'm about five into that. Also, Best Boss Ever, um, where I talk to people just about like managing people and leadership stuff. I'm only about four or five into that. Yeah, so a couple of things going on, right? 
Yeah, I, I was I was I was thinking of like introducing you as Chris Dunn, the, the Mark Cuban of HR or something from multi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we've we've teased your book, we've teased the NBA. Um, let's talk first about just a little bit about kind of going back. Um, you, you know, you, you have a lot of affiliations, but you've had the, the especially with uh, with fistful of talent. You know, Jessica and Tim and you and Paul Hebert. You, you have sort of your own crew there that you've done a lot of different things with for going on maybe over a decade now. Um, right. How, how does, I, what I was thinking about is like all those people, you know, myself, I've made a couple of moves, different, not investing in a company, but different jobs, tried different things. Where do you see the difference? What, Cause I met you first, I guess, I don't know if I, I know I talked to you, but I think we met in person at HR Florida in like 2000. Yeah. Not, something that, like that. That's right. With, yeah. With Lori and uh, I can't remember who the fourth one was. Jessica, maybe? Yeah, I think it was Jessica Lee. Yeah, because I've seen yeah, some yeah, photos yeah. of that HR Florida, right? Yeah. So, so like, what's your, what's your, so the, I guess the, the, the high, the 30,000 foot question, Chris, is, how is that like where we were then to now? And it's, you know, I don't want to go through the whole history, but how has that evolved and how have you managed to kind of still hang on to those, uh, those relationships that are, you know, more than a decade old now? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you see something similar to this, Michael, but I think the big thing for me at Fistful of Talent, you know, we had probably seven or eight original writers. I think we're up to like 35 or 36. Mm -hmm. So I think, like in anyone's professional network, whether you have like a, you know, a blog that, where you host people, whether you have a podcast with like what you're doing with drive through HR with you and Robin, I think everybody like has like times and seasons where people come in and out of our professional life. Right. Mm-hmm. And you work with them really intensively and then things change. Not that you don't like people or that people don't like me, but I think, people took different jobs and start migrating out. I think the constant related to anybody's professional network, for me, it's things like Fistful of Talent, the blogs. Um, for other people, it just may be people they're, they're volunteering with, you know, to, mm-hmm. at a local like HR organization. I think the, the common thread is it's always people that are interested in the craft and want to work at the craft and try and get better. And they're trying to find a group of people that views the world like they do. And what I always like to say about Fistful of Talent, Michael, and I think this is true about anybody's professional relationships. Sorry about that phone. That's annoying, right? Okay. Um, but yeah. what I always like to say about any of those kind of clusters is what I'm looking for most is people that have some overlap with the way I think. So I want the circles to be connected in some way but I never want it to be so like me that I don't learn from the other people that I'm doing work with away from like a job in a company, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the great thing for me, and I'm sure you find it the same way with something like drive through HR and all the, all the different stuff you've done is you always find people that challenge you. And mm-hmm. I, the, I think that's the con, I think that's the common thread. You have people you enjoy, but whether it's 2008 or 2020, you have people who challenge you and think about the world in a different way. And clearly that's more important than ever. Yeah. Cause there's, there's so much change. Yeah. So like the, the way the beyond, beyond the contact at HR Florida and that kind of stuff, um, you live in Birmingham and for, for up, you know, eight or nine years 
past, I was working in Florida and, and am again for Publix. And I used to get over into your market area. And I always really right. valued the opportunity to sit down and grab a cup of coffee and talk, you know, a little bit of labor relations. Because even though that's not your world these days, you you're, you right. used to do it. You kind of have a big interest in it. And I do. You know, same thing yeah. when we talk about you know, talent and that kind of thing, because I don't do hiring. So I, I agree. Our, our own relationship, I think, is kind of built around that foundation uh, of like, hey, this person knows stuff that they're they're interested in what I know, but they can teach me something else. I totally agree with yeah. that. Yeah. And by, the, and by the way, like, you know, every time you and I have coffee when you used to roll through Birmingham or Atlanta, and I hope we do it again soon, if you were doing work and you were going to a location, I was always like, man, I wish I could go with you just to, uh, just to get a, a glimpse into the life, life of Michael V. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I went off and ran Q where you were a speaker at our, in 2015 in Denver and actually did, a, right. did a, one of the, the original incarnations of, of your book, which we'll chat about in a minute. Um, yeah, I did that for five years. And, and personally, I got really uh, hungry to come back and do, there was a lot of that was, there wasn't a lot of strategery if you, if I can fake a word in queue. Yeah. a lot of it was in creative a lot of it was building shows it was fun it was good work but I got tired of not having HR people to talk to or people that had HR problems that I could help fix and that's why I made this recent jump back to Publix um, I love that right. company and I loved the work I did back then and still do uh, and so yeah it's it, you know so, sometimes things go you know they what what goes around comes around or whatever the analogy is. So, so sure. let's, let's talk about the book. We've teased it twice. Uh, and when did it, it's been out a bit, right? Yeah, it launched um, in late June of 2019. So we're, mm -hmm. it's amazing. We've passed the one-year anniversary. So, yeah, it's mm -hmm. been out a bit. So w w for those that haven't read it, tell them a little bit about what the, the nine phases of HR is and how it might help an sure. HR practice. Yeah. Yeah, so the... The elevator pitch is nine faces of HR. I'm making the um, audacious claim that I can take the entire world of HR, all career levels, every mm -hmm. location, every industry, and I can split the entire world of HR into nine distinct personas. That's the way the book is written. I do a chapter. Um, I do some chapters leading up, have a lot of fun with it. I do some chapters after, but I really hit each one of the nine personas, and we do that through – what everybody knows as a nine box grid and um, going up the X axis. If you go up vertically, we're looking at career level, early career, mid career, senior level. And then the, the most important thing, horizontal axis going left to right is um, low to high ability to innovate, um, drive change and add value. And really kind of the gist of it, Michael, is that, you know, there's no such thing as a wrong persona. All these personas have value, but when people look for an HR person, an HR leader that they're trying to recruit to lead their function, or they're looking to fill out their teams as an HR leader, having the right mix of people in terms of their worldview, what charges the batteries, what motivates them is super important. And I'll end with this, you know, the way that the world kind of views this is if you look at that nine box grid that I just described on the far left hand side, you have <clears> folks that are really high rules and are most comfortable in kind of command and control compliance HR roles. And on the far right, you've got 
people that are, you know, one of the personas is called the assassin. And you've got people that are very low rules who thrive on chaos. Obviously, in the middle are people that can flex either way, but it's just really important to get the right fit um, for yourself in your own HR career as you think about where you want to work and where you want to practice HR. Yeah. So I, I, I remember when we had, when we, when you did the, the presentation, um, I forget what, what you think the, your profile is. Did you, did you profile yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. So a lot of it depends on where you, um, you know, if you view me as mid-career or senior level, you know, some of that, yeah. I, I think titles, you know, I've got a CHRO title at Kinetics, but we're a small company and we do a lot of um, talent consulting on the side where that title's relevant. But um, I am right on the border of the middle column of boxes and the, the column of boxes to the far right. So I am either a, um, a fixer in the middle at mid-career level to an assassin, or I'm a mentor, which I think I've, I've done a lot of that role in my career to a natural on the senior level. So I'm right on that, that, you know, and, and these personas aren't absolute in the book, Michael, sometimes you're in between. And so I'm low rules, but there are markers where I'm probably not the biggest renegade, although some people might disagree with that. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I saw one a different model. Yeah. I saw one a, a couple of years ago where it was for, a four, a four grid profile and it was based on music and it what you you could be a Frank Sinatra or Bruce Springsteen or Jimmy Buffett sure. or Lady Gaga <laughs> and I was a yeah. I was a Jimmy Jimmy Frank I wanted everybody to be happy but if if they're not getting happy then I get mad and I got to start bossing people around so that they get happier <laughs> some version of that hey, I, I thought it, you know it's funny I don't yeah, remember hey, I, I, go ahead yeah that that model is uh, I think an Atlanta based company is it not I think so. Like, yeah. That, yeah. Where they do, they do kind of a, like an assessment and something similar in terms of, I, I'm trying to remember that company's name, but I've seen that one too. That's, that's good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. Not that yours is. And I just, I just, you know, there's so many versions of that kind of stuff out there. And if it has a little bit like you using the term assassin and that kind of stuff, I, I think that's a lot better than saying I'm an ENFP or an EFMJ or whatever, you know, that, yeah, you can't really that means. So, um, so the book, um, the book is cool. I'm always curious about how people approach that those, that task in particular. Um, yeah. How, how did you write the book? What was your creative process like? So I wrote it through a publisher. I went through Sherm Publishing, and they've got a great publishing arm. And uh, you know, my you know, like like any publisher would do, you have to outline it. You have to do like some some prep docs. And, you know, I'm, I'm the type of writer where, you know, I, I blog like almost on a daily basis. So I'm used to the craft. Mm-hmm. I'm used to writing. Honestly, I probably had eight or nine months to complete like the really super, super, super solid first draft that then went through the entire editing process. And, Michael, mm-hmm. what, I, what I probably did is I probably wrote the thing in about 45 days. And mm-hmm. I just absolutely hunkered down in addition to my day job. And was up a lot of early mornings. And, you know, roughly the book's probably about 60,000 words. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean a lot to anybody, but um, that's that's a fair amount. So the book's like, you know, probably 230 pages. Um, big type. Don't be intimidated, folks. Go go order <laughs> it. But 
Um, I just had to crank it out. I really had to crank out like 1,500 to 2,000 words a day and really just get in the mindset of the voice. It's kind of written in my voice. I try and keep the things really informal, a lot of pop culture references, a lot of yep. hooks to keep people interested. And, you know, really, I just, I, I really grinded away for about 45 days and finished it. One of the one of the really interesting things about that process, Michael, is when you get into each one of the nine personas, I actually wrote a short story about an HR practitioner, a fictional HR mm -hmm. practitioner that was encountering something in their company and, you know, how they reacted to a situation in their company told you everything you needed to know about the persona. And that was probably the most challenging thing for me to write, because usually what I do is I pull things that are happening in the world, news, sports. I kind of like weave it into HR recruiting and away we go. For that, I had to come up with something like totally fictional. And I think it mm -hmm. turned out really well, but that was probably the most challenging piece for me. Yeah. It, it, did you did you do it on a word processor? Did you do you do you dictate it? I know different people. I don't know why I'm interested in this, but I am. Just how? No, it's cool. It's cool. No, it's good. It's a good question. You know, I I should take more advantage of dictation. I'm but I've written for so long, Michael. Before dictation was good, mm -hmm. that I'm very much a, a fingers on the keys type of writer. So gotcha. I just I just go big drafts. I didn't do it in WordPress. Um, we did it in a special software just to kind of ease the editing process and the, and mm -hmm. the back and forth. But it's just like typing into to WordPress or Word. Um, gotcha. But, you know, it's funny, too, because some people, I think especially the younger folks where the tools have been good, are used to dictating. And, and some some folks my age have made the transition to dictation. I probably need to do that. I think that's a great way of saving time, but I'm so embedded and I've written so much with fingers on the keys that I've never made that transition. <laughs> I was in, I was in a, a, a coworker's office this morning and we were talking about some stuff and he turned, he turned to do something on his computer and he says, Oh shit. And <laughs> what he goes, I was using dragon dictation and I just dictated our whole conversation into a word a word document. <laughs> so right. we, we document. Anyway, yeah, you, you want to make sure things are off, I guess, just like speakers uh, at conferences yeah, should turn the mic off before they go in the bathroom, right? Um, yeah. So, Chris, um, serious stuff. Um, you know, forty million dollar or forty million jobs lost. I guess we're you know back up to whatever twenty or twenty five thousand million rather. You, you're primarily primarily a talent company what's going on in the market where do you where do you see it going with from the the job perspective here in the next few months yeah you know so i, I think it's very industry specific michael i would tell you that we you know like we're recording this you know mid-july-ish and we don't see tons of recovery right now we see like a lot of our clients struggling we see a lot of our clients in hiring freezes we see optimism about mm -hmm. what the future is at our at our big clients in terms of the hiring they're going to do, but really no time frame. So I think, you know, one of my big questions, and you know, nobody nobody hopes for a recession, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody hopes for it. But with this whole COVID thing that happened, you know, when you know, if you look at those charts of unemployment, right? 
it's right. like nothing. And then one week, you know, it's like Mount Everest on the unemployment side. So one of the things that was really interesting for me is based on the crazy expansion that we've had in the last decade, honestly, if, if we were going to have COVID hit, you know, at the very least, I would, I would want all of the pain that everybody's been through to kind of reset the economic cycle and at least officially be classified as a recession. And I think even two to three weeks ago, we were there. I think, I think the definition of a recession is two straight quarters with negative mm-hmm. GDP growth. I think clearly we're, we're going to be there at the end of June, obviously, was the end of second quarter. But I don't know what you see, but we don't see a lot of recovery yet. Again, we see optimism, but no firm time frame on that. Now, some industries, you know, just based on the nature of this lockdown with COVID, some industries are going gangbusters. I know tech, you know, NASDAQ hit an all-time high, you know, in core hiring America. We see we see a lot of struggles. And by the way, we have some healthcare clients as well. We see healthcare struggling a little bit because all all of the elective procedures went away. Right. And you know, you would think that okay, you're gonna get this bump from COVID. It really didn't happen and it hasn't happened enough to really overcome the loss in elective procedures um, both in you know late March, April, May. You know, we saw some of those elective things coming back in the healthcare industry in June, but now, based on everything that, that's happening, you know, some states and some municipalities are calling calling that again, where they're mm-hmm. eliminating elective procedures. So, just I think it depends on the industry, but we don't we don't see like a natural recovery yet. I'm not sure what you see or if you agree with that. Yeah, I well, yeah. I mean, you know, I I see that the the that President Trump and his you know his uh, campaign are definitely trying to paint the the, the picture that we're going to be back and it's going to be better. Big third quarter, you know, big fourth quarter, all next year, it's going to be great. And uh, you know, four million, four and a half million jobs came back a week ago, and then one and a half million claims were filed this week. You know, but net net, I don't know how that all that works out at Publix. We, you know, we're an essential employer, basically. So we yeah. added 20, 30,000 people in, in, in March and April. Yeah, yeah. And probably, probably still are, you know, I mean, as, as needed. Um, but it, you know, it, so, it, but it, 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 it hasn't really balanced out because we're getting a big boom in business, or we were, because people couldn't go out to eat. So, you know, some, they, they, that came back into, into the home and so thusly the grocery store, right? Um, right. Now that things a little bit more open. I'm not really sure where we're at from a, you know, from a business, but at one point we were like, I don't know, 60% up in a week and settled back somewhere around 20. So for us, it hasn't been, you know, like in my particular company, it hasn't really hurt us. It's actually probably benefited us um, in, in the short term. Right. And I don't, I don't think we'll take pain in the long term. but there are so many other people uh, or industries uh, that are, you know, not the same that, they, you know, it, it's going to take a while. And then we're also, I think we've also seen some, uh, you know, with PPP and the FCRA and whatever all the acronyms of all the the, the subsidy plans are. Um, I think right. like United Airlines talked about laying off 36,000 people, you know, soon and another company's thinking, you know, so it's, I think we're going to see up and down. So I guess in the, in the short ver- version of an answer, I think there's gonna be a lot of churn and it probably is like what you're saying. We're, 
we're not going to come back robustly, you know, by August or September. So that's uh, yeah, and 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 you'll be happy to know, Michael, that um, public spending on Publix as a line item in the Dunn household has mm -hmm. has increased. Thank you. We so we we and my stock shares appreciate that. So yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's a great example of just how all of this went down that, you know, public's in that sector, one of the benefactors. Um, and I think it's really interesting what you see, say about PPP because you had some, some employment that was a little bit protected. The question is, has the recovery happened enough where a lot of those, um, you know, people covered by PPP, do they, do they stick? And I think we'll start to understand that better, you know, moving through the end of July, August, and September. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've I flew flown a few times in line flights in the last two and a half weeks, which is uh, a lot, relatively speaking, to what I had done for the the previous three months. And you know, I'm I'm gold medallion on Delta, which is kind of middle of the road perks, right? Um, they're not giving you they're not giving you drinks. You get a bag with some water and a, a crackers in it and a a pack of Purell and they say, here, here's your in-flight meal. Thanks. Right. Um, you know, a lot yeah. have changed, you know, and I, I, yeah, it'll be a while. Um, I, Chris, I, I don't know if I mentioned in the pre-show. I don't think I did. I booked the show for 45 minutes just so we would have a little extra time if you can do it, but we're, we got a couple more yeah, things to talk about. Yeah, right, whatever cool. you need. I'm yeah, whatever you need. I'm happy to say. I, didn't sure. want, I, I think I said 30, 30 minutes originally. I didn't want to get, get into anything that you might have scheduled. So let, let's jump over, uh, you know, we're talking about COVID, I guess. So, I know you're a, a huge fan of basketball and the NBA, and uh, that's another thing that some folks that have going. Is it the eight-man rotation? Yeah, eight-man rotation, right? With uh, with with Matthew, Steve, Lance, and Tim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, another. Yeah, you guys. Like, I'm, I don't guess you're going to get to do the Vegas trip this year that you normally yeah that's there. out because yeah because of that everything going on summer league in vegas that's usually a trip for some of us that we love um yeah they're not having it right so crazy yeah and if they did have it there wouldn't be a crowd there so so the challenge obviously is you know we we're losing this kind of stuff i mean they ended the hockey season i was just thinking about um buying like a 10 package 10 game package you know to, to end the season here because i moved back to florida and could go see the late Tampa Bay Lightning play again, COVID team, everything right. shuts down, right? It's crazy. Haven't been to a, a movie theater in, I don't know, eight months or something. It's, it's nuts. Anyway, to specifically talk about NBA, um, first of all, I assume you're excited that they're going to try to come back. But um, I, I was wondering, you know, what your thoughts were about the, that, the NBA season and the bowl in Orlando um, as sort of a microcosm of what's going on in society, I guess. I don't know. That sounds goofy, but... Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think the, the NBA, like, return is going to have everything, right? I think in the, you know, clearly at the COVID, COVID workplace, you know, safety play, um, it's also aftermath of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. I think we're going to hear, like, a lot of messaging, you know, from the, from the players and the coaches, probably even the floors that are down there. So I think it's a lot there. I think, I think the big thing for me, first of all, like as the NBA tries to do this is I, I think they've done more. I think it underscores how hard it is with where we are right now, because I think they've done more to 
try and test people because they're right in the middle, like teams are right in the middle of going to Orlando and entering into what they call a bubble, which is, you know, they're going to be protected from the outside world once they test negative enough times to enter. I think there have been, you know, double digit players who have tested positive. And I think it just underscores the, I guess, the difficulty of getting to a place where you think you're, shrink wrapped in a bubble where you can't be impacted by COVID spreading across the outside world. I I think, you know, and the other thing I would say about it is it really comes down and they haven't announced this by the way, but the real interesting part is like, if you read up about it, they're in this bubble, they've all tested negative and they're there, but a lot of the workers who will be serving them are Mm -hmm. free to leave the facility and they're not going to lock down those workers for up to a two to three month period. So at some point, you would assume that COVID is going to be introduced in the bubble and people are going to test positive. And I think from a, a workplace perspective and returning to work, it's all about, OK, like what's your thresh, threshold for risk and like by the by way of positive tests. Right. So if they have one and they can test the rest of the team and kind of like, like, you know, kind of block and tackle this, if you will, and stay operational. Certainly they're going to do that. But if they have seven or eight positive tests, you just wonder at what threshold they either pause it or they shut the whole thing down because Mm -hmm. it just feels like it's coming based on everything else that's going on in the world. Right. Right. You know, um, I, you know, we, you and I both live in SEC country as well. You know, and I just was, I heard, I heard some discussion today on the way to to the office that um, I think the Big Ten, it was, I think it was the Big Ten, that they're dropping, uh, yeah, conference only, no, no out out of conference games, Um, you know, and and Alabama um, has had, I don't know, six, eight players on their team that came back to the campus, tested, tested positive. It's going to be very challenging, I think. Um, And it's, it's kind of. It's, it's kind of a shame because of so much of our, as you mentioned earlier, pop culture, so much of our rest, another part of big part of our culture is sports and the competitive, you know, fandom right. and the college and all that kind of stuff. And so it, sure. it, it, it makes it tough, you know, to find things to like, cause like I haven't taken up the violin as an alternative or anything like that, you know? So I don't know what right. you're doing. You, are you in the backyard shooting hoops with your boys or what do you do as in well, lieu of, watching sports. I mean, I mean, there's some of that. Heck, Michael, I was just thinking about this. So I ended up, so, you know, like anybody else, like at night, we try and like stream, you know, a series or two, right? And we try and like troll through that like everybody else does. You know, we came off like a, like a third episode of Schitt's Creek. Mm. And I was, I told Angela, my better half, I was like, okay, like I had all of it I can take for tonight, right? So mm-hmm. we flip it, I flip it on ESPN. And do you know that I actually watched like 45 to 50 minutes of a 2006 game between Notre Dame and Louisville college basketball? And it was, <laughs> and it was awful, but I stood there like I was in a stupor. So it's a long answer to your question. I don't know that anything's replaced it. I think we need sports. I think it's valid for us to try and get back. You know, I know they're doing it because they've got to book some revenue, 
but mm -hmm. I think we, I think, I think we need it. I know I need it. Um, and I think we need a lot of other things, but man, is it challenging. You look at what's going on, you know, where you're at in Florida, where I'm at in Georgia, Alabama, kind of where I roam across interstate 20, Texas, where we both have a lot of friends. Like it's really challenging right now. Just kind of, you don't know where, where it's all going to end up. Right. I know. And it just keeps, uh, it just kind of keeps piling on. What do you guys do at Kinetics as part of your uh, pandemic disaster plan? Yeah, we, we, we sent, we sent everybody home really quick. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're blessed from, well, we're blessed and not blessed, right? We're, we're not blessed in the fact that we're not an essential function. So, mm -hmm. you know, business got hurt a little bit, you know, like with hiring right. freezes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we are blessed in terms of, you know, we are about as healthy financially as we could be. And mm -hmm. we're blessed in the fact that recruiting is something that very much can be done remotely. So everybody went home. We were, as you would expect, uber patient with kids being home, you know, things like that. Doesn't really matter. We yep. just like work through that, right? Everybody has a good laugh when they hear a kid, um, you know, in the background, just like you would a dog barking. So you just work through it. Everybody can go home. What's interesting to me, Michael, and I wrote about this on the HR Capitalist, is what you see, even when you say the office is closed, what I see and what I've noticed in my network is that people are, are seeing that, okay, the office is closed, but I, so there's this like ghost space, right? There's this dystopian office environment. Mm -hmm where nobody's there. It looks like I am legend with Will Smith. Right. <laughs> and, and, what some, and what some people have noticed is they can sneak back into the office mm -hmm. and get away from the home environment because nobody's there. We've had one or two of those. And, you know, we just kind of like work through them. But I actually had a person from a major insurance company that, that reads the blog who told me that he was doing the same thing because nobody's mm -hmm. there. Perfect. He can get away from the house and he just got his badge turned off. So, huh. you know, you, you sent everybody home, but you kept badges active and then people started kind of like figuring it out. And if you hadn't done the big like return to work plan from a safety perspective, how do you handle the kitchen? How do you right. handle like, you know, temperature checks, blah, blah, blah. Because you said everybody's home. We don't have to deal with that yet. People started sneaking back in and this guy, major insurance company, HR executive said, raised his hand, like laughed about it. It's like, yeah, my badge just got um, <laughs> cut off. And I'll, I'll say his name is Michael. His name wasn't Michael. Um, I said, yeah, I, I emailed him back. I said, go home, Michael. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Chris. So um, make it, I'm going to go back to one of the things at the beginning. Uh, and I, we may have talked about this before, but you, you know, like you said, you're a longtime HR guy. And, and in 2010, you made this investment in an HR-driven business, right? So you're, you switched hats a bit. What, what have you learned in the, you know, in the years since you went out? I know you're not out of the field, but you know what I mean? You're doing different things than you were doing with your You know, I think the biggest thing I've learned is, you know, like small business, right? So at our peak, you know, we're in, we're, you know, we're in the triple digits with employees. Um, we're a little bit below that triple digit mark now. What I've learned is, you know, it's really hard 
as a business owner, and I'm a minority owner to Shannon Russo, but it, it's always mm-hmm. hard. It's always challenging to balance everything you want to do with employees with fiscal responsibility, especially if you come from the world of HR, right? Mm-hmm. You always want right. to do more. Shannon's got like a similar worldview and a similar background. I think we've done a fairly good job of balancing that. I think the other thing that's always to be healthy for anybody is just understanding that business development in terms of bringing in sales in the company, which is part of what I do, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's super difficult, right? It's so competitive, um, you know, in that space. So whether it's recruiting, whether it's HR software, we don't, you know, we do recruiting, we don't do HR software, but anything in the human capital space, there's a lot of great providers. And when you start talking about your solution, you know, you think it's the best one in the world. And I think we're pretty good, but, uh, you know, it's humbling. So probably the biggest thing I learned is how to effectively sell a service and what we do and talk to people about it. And the, the best way I've found is to undersell, try and develop relationship, try and, try and give gifts, you know, of content, give, mm-hmm. give gifts of starts of solutions. And if they need a great partner to take it to the next level, just building awareness that you're there because of that. Do you ever see yourself going back into a, a, a standard, if you will, HR role? Or is, is, are you no. wed to and that's kind yeah. of your... Well, first of all, like I'm, I'm wed to kinetics, you know, because, because I'm an owner. But, you yeah. know, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that, you know, there's some things about the full-time like HR life that, that I miss. So, I, you know, I think at another stage in my life, I could I could easily do that. I would tell you one of the one of the reasons I'll give you a great example. We talked about it earlier. One of the reasons I get geeked up like when you come into town is because mm-hmm. I want to hear the stories. And you know, you know, when you work for a smaller company, especially you know one where you've got a good culture. And then before that, when I was with smaller software companies, I lost a lot of employee relations volume. Mm-hmm. So you know, thinking about just rectifying and working through situations. Like when I first made a move to the software business, even before kinetics, I lost probably 45, 50% of my job just working through different employee relations stuff. And by the way, not necessarily, you know, anything on the collective bargaining front, but just doing good, solid employee relations, right? Right. right. Um, being proactive, but also working through bad stuff when it happens, you know, I still miss the hustle of that, um, yeah. which, by the way, I'm smiling when I say this, is you come into town, yeah, I want to have coffee. I'm like, tell me more. You can see me rubbing right. my hands together. I was like, what do you got going on? All of that. It was always, they were always good stories, too, weren't they? Um, they were you know, great I had a guest on Tuesday that I knew through, his name is Nick Palm, and we talked about kind of the, we talked about COVID and communications and, uh, you know, um, recession and communications and the the George Floyd issue that is, it's not an issue that the movement that has erupted so uh, vigorously right. related to this you know racial tension in the U.S. and that that is you know it, it we're it's I called it a triple triple witching hour and Nick called it something else perfect storm I think but we do have it like a ton of stuff and it's not they're not just HR issues but HR has a critical role right now with these companies and trying to solve these issues and or trying to solve the problems that it created as, as because of all these issues. And it's it's daunting, uh, to say the least. Right. And, you know, um, 
I, I know I saw today, actually yesterday, I guess, that there is a a group of labor uh, unions, uh, the usual, you know, the usual three and four letter unions uh, that are put, putting together uh, another kind of a Black Friday protest or an our, our Walmart kind of protest. Only this one is uh, strike, general strike, 25 cities or more to support Black lives, which, you know, is, and it, the, I think that the idea that we're trying to organize Walmart is, is it's important, I guess, but it's not nearly as uh, universally uh, doesn't affect every individual in the country in the way what we're going through now right now does. So we have some huge challenges. I don't, I don't think anybody, you know, at any of our stores will see anything, but that that's going to happen on July the 20th. And that's just one thing that's going on, you know? So um, I I don't know exactly where I'm going with <laughs> I guess yeah, well, I mean, what, what I would say in response to that is, I mean, yeah, it's challenging times everywhere. A lot of lot of things to be proactive with, you know. At this point, uh, you know, if you call it being proactive, but like I'll give you, I'll give you like two runs, like COVID, for example. If I if I take it back to kind of the nine phases of HR, which is very much how I view the world of HR, mm-hmm. you know, there's two sides of COVID. The first side is safety and kind of compliance, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a cohort of the HR world, both leadership level, probably less leadership, but kind of mid-career HR, that's really going to thrive in kind of the return to work safety type stuff, mm-hmm. because a lot of it's command and control. But at the same time, that same group of individuals is in a lot of companies going to be asked to not only manage the return to work, but then they're going to be asked to become incredibly fluid and incredibly flexible in terms of trying to manage this remote work environment. Because I don't think for a lot of companies that where it's not essential that you be at a location and most companies are a mix, right? There are like core positions that have to be at a location and a lot of like value added people doing supportive type stuff that don't have to be there. But those same people, they're going to be really good at the return to work. Let's make sure that we're a hundred percent on all these things might not be real good at the flexibility and the fluidity of the remote working like situation and vice versa. Right. The people that are good at the fluidity are like, wow, so I've got to be like at 100% compliance on all these things. So it's a real challenging time to find the balance as an HR leader, as an HR pro. And I think, you know, when you think about Black Lives Matter, the aftermath of everything we've, we've been through with George Floyd, same thing holds true, right? I think mm-hmm. you've got to be really good on the communications front. But then, honestly, you got to go beyond communications. And, you know, we did a, a spot on HR Famous talking about VMware, who really took the NFL Rooney rule, which like mandates a mm-hmm. uh, minority interview in executive level positions. And they really expanded that through every position in their company. So I think there's going to be this natural thing where HR people could help their executives do a great job on the communication of what their values are and what they believe moving forward. But at some point, you have to turn that into results. How do you do that? How do you get all the fence setters in your company aboard the bus to do better in all these areas? Man, it's just, it's complicated, right? I don't think it's ever been more complex for HR leaders and HR pros than it is today. 
I think you can add a few other things to that too. Like I think you're going to have, uh, you know, work uh, stress related issues from the job for a central employees, mental health, you know, yeah, of course. people got fired because of uh, black lives matter, some, something they said or did. I just, we're seeing it every day almost. And it, you know, I'm not judging right. it. I'm just saying HR has to deal with that. We're down, we're down to 90 seconds. Um, so, so first of all, I want to thank you for being on the show. Secondly, as soon as this show ends, I'll call you real quick and share something with you, uh, if that's okay with you, on the cell phone. And thirdly, tell our listeners where to find Chris Dunn. Yeah, hey, best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Just type in Chris with a K, K K-R-I-S-D-U-N-N. I'm at Kinetics. Um, I think I've got the backslash, like, vanity URL. So find me there, and you can find me at HR Capitalist, Physical Talent. Start at LinkedIn. Also, I've got a new site, Michael aggregate all that stuff together, chrisdunn.com. People can mm-hmm. go there if they just want a, a single landing page to find everything that I'm involved in. They can go there as well. Awesome. Your entire empire in one, one <laughs> website. Great. Uh, anyway, thanks for being on drive-thru, and I'll chat with you in a minute offline, and I'm going to end the show. So have a great afternoon. Yeah, th- yeah thanks for having me, Michael. Fun. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.